Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for yet another slam-bang episode of Greatness and Fun, brought to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. And those of you who are watching can see that I am joined in studio for, I think, only the second time here since I've opened this place up by my friend uh, Uvale or... (laughs) I struggle with the pronunciation, (laughs) but don't worry, I butcher everybody's name. That's fine. Um, And Dr. Leor is uh, actually a doctor of cultural studies? Culture studies, yeah. Great. Excellent. And he, you might recall, uh, joined me a couple years ago. We did an amazing podcast episode that I think holds up, I think it's one of the best podcasts I've ever done. Uh, on the topic of L. Ron Hubbard and uh, and what we suspected, you you had a theory on um, Hubbard suffering from temporal lobe epilepsy, and uh, that could have been a root cause. And we're not saying a hundred percent that it's absolutely the case that that was that way because we don't have his brain to look at. But all the symptomology was there, and we went over all of that. And I just thought that was a great episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I should bring Uval back because. He has done a, a doctorate thesis. Your doctorate mm-hmm. thesis was on the subject of fervor, an evolution of, yeah. of the that. Psycho- the, the psychology of fervor, the capacity for fervor. Right. Yeah. And so I, of course, have been talking all about that subject in different ways. I've not used the word fervor in most of the talk that I've done. I've, to- I've talked about extremism, prisons of belief, um, you know, a kind of uh, authoritative thinking, high control groups, cults, all that kind of stuff. But underlying all of that are these these base emotions and ideas that that and behaviors that we all kind of engage in to one degree or another in different parts of our life. And so, really, this subject has something to do with all of us, not just those weirdo extremists that you see on the internet or on Scientology in the aftermath. And this is this is something I just love bringing out in the open and talking about and, and trying to help educate uh, on these topics because I think that all of us can live slightly better and um, more fruitful lives <laughs> if we understand ourselves better. And I'm always on the hunt for that. So thank you mm-hmm. for joining me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just dive in. What um, what was the basis of your doctoral thesis, and what's the idea here? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you mentioned those three things. You said it's those beliefs, behaviors, and uh, that 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 fervor might be, but it's it was not of the three. I don't remember. <laughs> it is. A, I think it is a psychological state. Ah, uh, that, that affects can be behavior in. and affects. And yeah. it's. Uh, I'm gonna tie it, as, as you will see soon, into to, um, different types of love and child psychology. But I think that it's, we need to think of the state of fervor like the state, state of infatuated romantic love, for example. Great. It's something that can last months, maybe even a year, maybe days, uh, but it is not an event and it's not a behavior. It Great. is a state that, that you can be in for a, a certain amount of time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into that then, because clearly that state of, of being mm-hmm. or, or, you know, yeah. be, uh, leads to dedicated uh, work or behavior on the part mm-hmm. of people for years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I was in Scientology for 27 yeah. years. 
For sure. And I'm not sure that you're in the psychological state of fervor the whole time. Correct. And that's, and I'm glad we're differentiating that. Perfect. Right. Because when I first got involved as a 15 year old, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I was always involved as a child, but really getting on board when they really got me into that state Mm -hmm. (laughs) was when I was 15. Yeah. And that's when it's easiest to get. Exactly. So let's talk about that. What is the, what is Uh, that state? And okay. So I, I, uh, uh, think that to understand, so fervor is the infatuated mode of a more general state, which I will call uh, a belief attachment. Okay. It's the current term I'm using. And uh, a belief attachment is uh, um, related in an evolutionary sense, a uh, certain evolutionary sense, to the different types of love or some of the types of love. So the, the types of love are parent to child, mm-hmm. there's child to parent, mm-hmm. which is very different. There's teenager to, to parent, which, oh, is, which is very different. <laughs> anybody who has teenagers knows, or anybody who's ever been a teenager knows. <laughs> there's romantic love, uh-huh. which is uh, a, a, a very similar and very different in very interesting ways to parental love and child to parent love. Or there's love between siblings. There's love, uh, extended family members, and um, uh, in humans, there's uh, uh, also an expansion. So we can love our country, we can love God, we can love right. our car, right. we can love a sports team. And um, that and that <clears throat> seems to be unique to Homo sapiens. Well, so the the this expansion of of the the capacity of of different types of love is actually something that you see in, in domesticated animals. Oh, of course. Of course. Just as you were so, saying that, I started thinking about dogs. Because <laughs> yeah, so, we share this uh, almost a symbiotic relationship with dogs. And, and we love our dogs. Yes. <laughs> and, our do- <laughs> yes. and our dogs can love us. Cats, but. not so much. But no, dogs? Well, <laughs> I mean, no. we can love the cats, but sometimes it's a little questionable. Well, the, the, so <laughs> so for, first of all, the, realizing that in some ways we are closest to chimpanzees and bonobos. Sure. But in other ways, we are closer to domestic, other domesticated animals okay. because we are domesticated as well. Good point. So the, uh, what happens when you domesticate an animal is uh, domestication is all uh, about reducing aggression, mm-hmm. usually. Mm-hmm. And the way the uh, aggression is reduced in domesticated animals, in, in, in many of them, maybe bees, maybe different, but um, is that... Domesticated animals can see anybody as uh, a relative. Right. And they don't have aggression towards their relatives. So if you take a bobcat out in the mountains, the bobcat is aggressive towards everybody except its kittens or its mother or its siblings. Right. Uh, And if you take a domesticated cat, the domesticated cat uh, uh, loves you and you, maybe you love it, but it love, it sometimes behaves to you as if you're its parent. Mm-hmm. So when it purrs or when it does the yeah the meeting, little paw thing yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes it, it when it plays fights with you it's like a sibling yeah and when uh, the cat grooms in front of you or when he brings you uh, less and less damaged prey so that you will finish the hunting <laughs> trying to teach you how to hunt right uh, it behaves as if is your parent. And what domestication does to, to animals is that it 
can, uh, first of all, they can love much more, a, a bigger variety of things. Mm -hmm. They can be, uh, domesticated animals can behave as adolescents throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. They can display like child psychology. So a, a domesticated cat, as an adult, it can behave like a kitten. Mm -hmm. A bobcat will never behave like a kitten right. once it's an adult. <laughs> right. And um, that's why you can adopt and be adopted by a cat throughout your life and its life. Mm -hmm. Because you can always be in that stage of life. Now, bobcats can adopt other species, right? There is a lot of interspecies, but it has to happen at the right time of life. Got it. For the animal. Okay. Um, so uh, this, uh, uh, also domestication made it that so that we can show uh, inappropriate types of love. We can love our country like a child. We can love our parents like, like a, a parent loves a child, even though we're both adults. We can, we can have all sorts of combinations of t the types of love. Right. So, I'd never thought about love of country in different types or ways. That's a uh, really good point. Or love of organizations or love of your club or your, or, yeah, your, or your group. Yeah, or, or your water ski or whatever. <laughs> or Scientology. <laughs> That's our yeah. Scientology. That's right. Uh, or Hubbard, yeah. Right. Um, so uh, that is the, 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 the beginning. And uh, now there's two types of love, mm -hmm. the parent to child and child to parent, which have uh, two modes. Mm -hmm. They have an infatuated mode and a sober mode. Okay. Okay. So Fairly self-explanatory modes. <laughs> <laughs> For once in science, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though it's it's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of arguments in science about that. Uh. Um, but in the the romantic love, for example, there is a, a mode that that Dorothy Tenov calls limerence, which is uh, and and she invented the word limerence in her 1977 book because she thought that this is not what we call love. Ah. This is, and she said that a limerent person, he loves the limerent object. It sometimes uh, can be called being in love. Mm -hmm. But you love the limerent object, and she calls it an object because you don't see it as it really is. The person that you are in an infatuated love relationship, you can have major blind spots regarding <laughs> You don't <them>. say. <laughs> what? Love is blind? I've never heard of well, that before. <laughs> There's a joke, um, why is divorce so expensive? Because hmm. it's worth the money. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there, done that, yeah, okay. <laughs> people can be astonished at how big of a mistake they made when they were blinded by limerence, in this case. Right. Uh, so this would be infatuated romantic love. Now, with the infatuated parental love, uh, you, you also have this, I mean, and, and they both come with a sense of certainty. But, uh, so the, the Romeo is certain that Juliet is for him. Mm -hmm. The parent, there, there's a, a, a story which, which I, I, I read it in a book, but I don't know which book it was. So <laughs> and I need to find out. Uh, well, if maybe a, 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 someone knows the book, they can... They can let us know uh, in the comments, in yeah. The comments. Um, and the story is about a, a group of um, uh, parents who are going to adopt babies in China. And they go to the orphanage and they stand in line and each couple gets to the line and gets handed a baby. Then they go back to the hotel, they stay in the night, and then the next morning, in the morning, they all 
get together and they say that woman handing out babies, she was a genius because she knew which baby she should give to each couple. Now, they know that the babies were given out randomly. Right. But they cannot imagine loving another baby as much as they love the baby that they got. They got a certainty that that's the one for them. Right. Um, even though they know that. But so there's this feeling of, 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 of certainty that, that comes, but it's a very specific type of certainty. Uh, and we'll get to other types of certainty that... Um, I won't segue off into the, the, the hinterlands here about how you found the one and only for you, your soulmate. <laughs> there couldn't be any other one. It sounds like that goes into this. Yeah, but yeah. That, that, that also happens with, with faith. <laughs> it also happens with, <laughs> right. with uh, 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 you know, fervor or, or belief, belief attachment. So we have in romantic love and parental love, we have this uh, infatuated mode. And the parental love, the infatuated mode is when you think your, your child has got injured and you got super motivated, super... You know, but normally when, you know, the, the, you're, you're, you have a sober uh, parental attachment. Would you, you say know? that it would be accurate that maybe after the first year or first few yeah, months no, no, is when it goes from infatuated mode to yeah, sober mode? Normally. Yeah. Kind of when the, and, and, in, and this is expressed, I think, in marriage with, oh, the honeymoon's over now. Yeah. So, the, and that's when, when, when limerence, this kind of, uh, 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 infatuated love with blind spots and, and, and all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, sensitivity to criticism, all sorts of, of things that we can get to later. Um, uh, yeah, it settles into the sober mode. Okay. But with uh, children, as, first of all, you can love someone romantically without ever having gone through the infatuated mode. Okay. Doesn't mean that it's a different type of love. Okay. So it's not that it's a necessary aspect. And... Parents sometimes get into this parental infatuation when they find out that there's a pregnancy, sometimes when birth happens, and sometimes later. Okay. So, and it, the, uh, there are a lot of people who don't feel that immediately towards their kids. And that is also, seems like it might be more common in domesticated animals. But, hmm. um, but in, in, in wild animals, the parental love... Uh, uh, settles down as the kids need to be let go. Right. In domesticated animals, it's it's a lot less well, this, a lot less structured. You know, I know we and it, there's a there's a peril in in talking about or looking into evolution that you can make up stories for why evolutionary developments happen. Mm -hmm. You kind of well, this sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. So then that's the story everybody goes with, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing scientific about that. You got to experiment. You got to you got to figure things out. But observe. Yeah. It sounds as though, um, to me, with what I've been learning and knowing about this, that that there's clear evolutionary reason for this. I mean, you want that infatuated mode because your full attention and yeah. focus is on this other being or mm -hmm. living thing, yeah. or, or non-living thing, as as we'll get to. And you're and you're just directed on, yeah. you know, putting all your effort into making sure it survives, it's and, doing and, well, and, and it's common to all mammals. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, but sometimes, or in, in many cases, it, uh, fathers don't have that. Right. So right, you'll see that uh, with baboon troops. Uh, Sapolsky talks about that. Yeah. So in about five percent of mammals and ninety percent of birds, or or, or so, uh, we have also romantic love. So both parents raise yes. the child. 
uh, uh, and there's also cooperative breeders. And this is where, where in, uh, uh, these are even more rare in animals like meerkats or marmosets or humans, but not chimpanzees. Uh, you have uh, a, a, a whole group raises the child. Oh, it takes a village sort of attitude. Yeah, and, and there's grandparents, there's friends of the family, and there's different roles, and there's... Uh, uh, so things are, are already more flexible in those animals, but domestication makes the love relationships even even more flexible. Okay, yeah. cool. So where do, so how do we go from these modes of love to okay, fervor? So, <laughs> there's a new mode of love that I, I think came about um, and the elements in the evolutionary toolbox that went into constructing it were the different types of love, specifically parental love and romantic love, which are also related to each other, of course. Uh, now, child-to-parent love and child psychology in general also is a big uh, 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 contributor to, to this and symbolic language. So okay. symbolic language, which really changes a lot of things, um, interacted with all those types of love in child psychology to bring us a new type of love in a way where this new type of love is... Um, uh, I call the sober mode a belief attachment, mm -hmm. and the infatuated mode I call fervor. Okay. okay, okay. And so we start so, getting to the heart of the matter here. Yes. So fervor is like the, the limerent person, the person yes. who is uh, uh, infatuated romant and romantically in love. Uh, they are like the person, uh, like a parent whose child is distressed. Um, and they... Uh, 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 it's it's a very motivating state. It is very um, you know, goal directed. You can seem like you're selfish. It can make you neglect other obligations, other commitments, um, and uh, um, yeah, I have a, a, a list of commonalities. Yeah, can, go ahead and go, go ahead and pull them out because I'd actually sure. like to go through some of those. A point I'd like to make right now is mm -hmm. that I'm asked all the time, even to this day. I've done whole videos and talks about this, but. I'm continually asked, you know, why do people fall for this stuff? How can they be so stupid, right? And, you know, one of the points I want to get across here with this and other things we've talked about is the potential or capacity for this kind of thing to happen is in all of us. It's just a matter of hitting the right marks for the individual, right? We're not all going to fall in love romantically with every other person. We don't have that potential, but we have the potential to you know, fall in love yeah. and, and, if you, you hit know, the right markers, right? There, there might be some, you know, diseases or neurological conditions that make you unable to do that as well. Fair enough, fair enough. I, <laughs> when I, I, I'm, I'm speaking broadly, I'm yeah. painting with a very broad brush, but of course, every, uh, practically everything yeah. I ever talk about, I should say, statistically speaking. Yeah. Or, <laughs> right? or among, among healthy people, yeah. Yeah, because um, there's, you know, there's always exceptions to these rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and when you're a week old, you don't have symbolic language, and when right. you're, yes, all sorts of, yeah, nitpicky right. stuff. Um, so the, the, um, and, and also, first of all, the irrationality that you talk about, how would people believe this, uh, we can, if, if we look at uh, 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 fervor or belief attachment as, some, as related in similar ways to love, let's say parental love, 
you're not going to ask a parent, you know, how could you... Right. How could you love how that How could you love that baby of yours? What is wrong with he you? He turned out to be Hitler, you know? Right. <laughs> well, it's actually a thing, because even even the parents of serial killers or mass shooters yeah, of or these guys, they're... What, what, yeah, he's my kid. I, I'm sorry. I yeah. love him. You know, it's horrible mm -hmm. what he did, but... And, and well, it's, sometimes it's, it's horrible what he did, but sometimes it's also, I don't believe that he actually did that. Yes. <laughs> Even yes. though they, uh, they actually helped him right. hide from the police. So right. uh, uh, if you look at uh, uh, parental infatuation, if you look at, at people in cults, you, uh, uh, I, I say that we need to think of cult members as psychologically similar to parents of evil alien children. Interesting. <laughs> okay. That, so if a parent of this horrible, you know, alien baby that's actually here to, to, to destroy, you know, Rosemary's baby kind of a... <laughs> right. um, the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, um, and the parent doesn't see the flaws mm -hmm. in the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives everything to the kid, all his time, all his money, because the kid is distressed, so he needs to work, gives up all, all his money to help the kid, because the kid is sick, you need to finance. Um, they lie for the kid, mm -hmm. they break the law for the kid, uh, the kid can abuse them, but they still stick with it. Yeah. The kid can be, you know, just this, this monster, but they are and they don't see the, the problems, they lie on, on their behalf, and if the kid passes away, they are devastated. Yeah. And yet, yeah. if you see such a parent, normal people in society say, you know, well, I understand that. Right. That's, that's the love of a parent. Exactly. Now, if we think of a cult member as someone who gives everything to the cult, who doesn't see the faults of the cult, mm -hmm. who breaks the law for the cult, but lies on behalf of the cult, is abused by the cult, mm -hmm. and when the cult kicks them out, they are completely devastated, or if the cult, you know, breaks up. Yeah. Um, people ask me, well, why, why was that gullible idiot? <laughs> there you go, see? Um, That's the connection, right there. Well, that is a, a connection. It. Yeah, wait, yes. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yes. But there are, of course, very, very big differences <laughs> between. Uh, so let's first uh, 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 talk about some of the similarities. Sure. And I don't want to to miss any, so I have a. Got some a notes list here, here that we're consulting, yeah. yes. Well, it just so that. Absolutely. What you got? Um, okay, so I'm talking about similarities between parental attachment, which has infatuated in sober mode, romantic attachment, which can have a limerence, infatuated mode, and a sober mode, mm -hmm. and belief attachment, where you are uh, um, attached to, for example, Scientology or a tech, where the attachment is to a belief system, which is many times personified as a, per uh, as a person, mm -hmm. like Hubbard, like God. It's Good point there, actually, because cult leaders are yeah. revered. <laughs> yes, and uh, but the cult member many times when they they are in the cult, they will see the cult leader as a parental figure. Yes, and in fact, we've talked about the fact that cult leaders try to make that relationship happen many by times. calling themselves father or yeah. mother, mm -hmm. referring to the followers as their children. Yeah, right. That it's it's that it's 
it's a, it's a purposeful effort on the part of malicious cult leaders to create that parental relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's age regression. There's all sorts yes. of things that make you feel like you're young when you're on your knees. You're the height you are when you're young. When you're exactly. all sorts of there's postures. You know. There's, <laughs> um, so the the um, the uh, the that Scientologist who sees Hubbard as a parental figure, and they have a childlike dependence on them, at the same time, they can have a, a, a fervor which resembles parent-to-child relationship with the group, Okay. with Scientology. Mm-hmm. So you go into Scientology, you think you'll be able to depend on Hubbard, but then you find out that Scientology and all of humanity depends on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. you're at the same time, you are in a child role with Hubbard and a parental ro- role with Scientology. That's why you need to give. And the type of giving that cult members give is the kind that parents give to their children. That's a great Not point. Not the kind that children give to their parents. Yeah, exactly. That's a, yeah. that's a really good point. Because I, I tell you, man, I mean, having lived it, yeah, that's, yeah. that's very, very true. I certainly can relate to what you're talking about in terms of my personal attitude, especially at the level of the C organization. Mm-hmm. First as a staff member, but then really moving up to the 24-7 operation of the C org, how I considered myself in a sort of a caretaking you know, salvation bringing. And everything uh, depends on you. Yes, everything, (laughs) right? People ask, how do you you suffer? Yeah, Yeah. how do you suffer all the abuses? How do you live through three years of the RPF? How do you take being beaten by people? How Mm -hmm. do you take the long hours? And you go, well, would you do that for your kid? Of course (laughs) you would, right? That's how, that's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah, and it's a very tragic way to think about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it's, It's I'm not not saying this is a big, all kinds of plus signs here. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's a, it's a really good way of defining that relationship. So, uh, so if we're talking about these three types of attachments, and now we're going to talk about things that they share in common, but later we can talk about things that they don't share in common. Yeah. Uh, So all three of them have an underlying emotion. Okay. Uh, and it's actually a, a group of emotions. So love, parental love, romantic love, they both have um, the underlying emotion is also called love. But it's, it's a collection of emotion that it includes, you know, uh, um, caring and, 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 and all sorts of uh, um, uh, uh, different types of emotions that we collectively call them love. Mm-hmm. And in the case of fervor and belief attachment, the underlying emotion is awe. Awe, A-W-E. Also, yeah, and okay. it's also a collection of emotions. So that includes wonder, mystery, uh, effervescence. There's all sorts of um, uh, uh, types of, uh, uh, you know, related emotions that are collectively, I'm going to refer to as awe. And that's not even a point of minutia or a, or a difficult point uh, for cult members to understand. Mm-hmm. In numerous success stories, you bring this word up and I start thinking, in numerous, numerous success stories and speeches that Scientologists gave, they would say outright, I am in awe of L. Ron Hubbard. I am in awe that I was lucky enough to find this place and be Mm -hmm. part of this. And I am just floored by... I had a a win. Yes, exactly. (laughs) they, They express a feeling of overwhelming joy and happiness and relief that they are where they are mm-hmm. and have experienced what they are experiencing and they feel very lucky 
to be in that position. So that yeah. so that completely is, is real for a cult experience. Yeah. So this is the the underlying emotion. Yeah. Um, as I said, they, there's two modes: uh, uh, infatuated and sober. Um, uh, uh, and they're, they, these attachments, they're a little bit also like habits in that there's a feedback between the emotions and the behavior and the experiences. Okay. Okay. Um, that re can reinforce itself. Uh, and uh, with time, the, the infatuated mode tends to settle into the sober mode. Sure. But there are mechanisms and ways for people to re uh, be stuck in the infatuated mode. And do you think that, let me ask you a question here, just since it occurs to me right off, do you think this is one of the reasons why, say in Scientology, they have every couple months, they're having another international event mm -hmm. where they're gonna pump everybody up, show them all the bullshit statistics <laughs> about expansion and how wonderful everything is, and to give this amazing audio-visual presentation. Mm -hmm. With a crowd? Yes, to uh -huh. a crowd of people at an event. Where there's thousands of people in the room there's at celebrities. once. Exactly. Yeah. So they're bringing all their A-game to these mm -hmm. events. Do you think that's part of what yeah. we're talking so about here? It's the, the, it, it is to induce awe, but I think that it is possible for someone to remain stuck in a cult, even though they're no longer fervent, when and this is, this is Alexandra Staines uh, from, from her book, when uh, the person is, doesn't have alternative attachments. Right. So when they're isolated and when they're engulfed. Right. Which would okay. lead to why isolation is a key component of being in a cult, because yes. it reinforces the behavior and the belief. Yeah. Well, and and it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't allow you to switch to another attachment relationship, escape right. hatch attachment, right. as it is, is called. So... Um, but what, what I'm going to say is that uh, in, in Stain's description of cultic psychology, she talks about the person who is isolated, engulfed, and, both, and, and terrorized, and, and gets both terror and love alternating. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those are necessary for a person who's not in the state of fervor. Makes when sense. you're in the state of fervor, which can be the first few months, the first few years, or something you go, come back to, every once in a while as part of your involvement, then in, in that psychology, the isolation and the engulfment comes from the fervor. Okay. So that's a window that the, the, the cult has, right? You're gonna, you, you saw a miracle, you had a conversion, you're now in a fervent state, you're gung-ho, there's two months where you're gonna be in this state and they need to isolate you and engulf you actually right in those two months right so that when you fall out of the fervor and you're just in a sober belief mode um that you will uh, uh you, you're stuck there because now you're isolated and engulfed but the fervor takes care of the transition period where you still that's when you break up with your parents that's when you you know when you you, you burn all the other bridges where you you move to a different place you become engulfed because now you're in the sea org um and uh, uh so fervor is uh, can play a, a a transition role but once you're isolated and engulfed you don't need the fervor anymore makes yeah. complete sense yeah because then you're then you're I, again as a sea org <laughs> member i can totally relate then you're stuck yeah because then there's no support system outside of the mm -hmm. group yeah the entire group's uh, thinking is all on the same page, so you're gonna f just just that alone 
you don't want to feel like an outsider. You don't want to feel different. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the, you know, the lemming who's not going over the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> right? Of course. So it totally makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So let's see what other similarities. Um, so uh, in all three of them, there is a strong commitment. Mm-hmm. But in the parental love and romantic love, the commitment is to another person. In the case of belief attachment and, and fervor, the infatuated mode, the attachment, many times it is personified in a person, but it is an attachment to the truth value of a certain ideas sure. or the truth value of whatever that person says. Right. So you can love, uh, uh, you know, your husband, your, your child, but you, don't, you think they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because those, those attachments... Uh, um, aren't, they, they happen before symbolic language. Symbolic language, you have a new type of certainty, a new type of feeling of knowing. Uh, okay. Right? okay. So it's not just certainty that Juliet is for Romeo. It's a certainty that everything Hubbard ever said is correct. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And that is or, a different type of commitment. Right. Sometimes. Or everything in the Bible is literally yeah. true. Or everything in the Quran must or be followed communi- word for word. Yeah. Or Yeah, communism, mm-hmm. same deal, right? Same yeah. level of fervor. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. So fervor, right. is, I'm not giving any value judgment. You can have a very good, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 political fervor to help people. You, you, per, fervor can, it's, it's, on itself, it's not positive or negative. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, really, that's a really, really, really important point. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, again, goes to the critical thinking aspect of things, right? Context is king. You, none of this stuff can be evaluated in terms of black and white thinking. You have to look at the context of the fervor and the context of the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we doing good things as a result of this? Positive things? Constructive things? Or are we going off the rails and writing hate websites on people and, and stalking mm-hmm. them and things like that, right? So you can, yeah, good point. Uh, so when you're in, this, in, in the infatuated state of those three types of attachments, um, you, uh, things are very important. You're very motivated. You're very goal-directed. It can make you seem like you're selfish. It can make you neglect other commitments mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, um, that 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 is common to, to to all of them, and it's it's unclear which one is stronger. You know, mm. sometimes families get people out of cults. Sometimes cults get people out of families. You know, it's true. It's, uh, yeah. um, uh, but the the uh, uh, understanding the, the the fervor can can help predict that. Um, let's see. Uh, so there's, there's a, I went through that. Uh, um, so all three of them give people a sense of meaning and purpose. Yep. Which is both, uh, which is also a reward system. So it's, 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 it, it feels good. It's, it gives you, makes you uh, and Get not, that dopamine going. <laughs> dopamine, but, but it's a specific kind of meaning yeah. and purpose. Um, all three of them include blind spots. Okay, let's talk about those. So, um, there are many sources of blind spots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is uh, cognitive dissonance avoidance, there's motivated reasoning, there's, um, uh, uh, there's biases. But We've w- never talked about any <laughs> of those things here. <laughs> but with parental love, especially, or, or mo- most clearly, uh, you have a blind spot that 
the, the, the parent doesn't see the faults right. in the child. So yeah. that the parent does not, uh, um, and even if they do, they, they, they see it in a positive way or, or, right. or you know. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, or rose color or glasses, <laughs> right. you know. Um, and uh, this is also, uh, you see it in, in limerence. So in infatuated romantic love, in the, that book, Love and Limerence, she talks about how, uh, and she interviews a lot of people who have been in that state. And there's a woman who says that it's really good that her, the, 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 that her, the person she's in love with, that he's unattractive. Because that makes it so that he's less likely to look for other girls or that other girls are less likely to, you know, so there's, there's all sorts of... It's all about rebranding in your mind yeah. um, as to why these are features, not bugs. <laughs> but the, the, this type of blind spot seems to be uh, in addition to the uh, other regular types of blind spots. Okay. Okay. So with uh, the parents not seeing the faults of, of, of in their baby is, a, is, a, is a, a, a very, you know, extra special blind spot. And I think that that can happen also uh, uh, in, in belief and, and fervor, especially in fervor. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you talk about uh, Scientology. It's filled with contradictions. Yeah. Filled with them. I mean, there's just tons of them all littered throughout all of Hubbard's work. But you need to not see them. <laughs> it, well, yes, and Scientologists don't. They will, yeah. and, and I used to tell, tell people, I used to think to myself, this is an integrated whole, there's nothing contradictory, mm -hmm. it's just a developmental line, yeah. things changed as he learned new things, you know, and there's a certain value, there's a certain truth value to what I'm saying there. But at the same time, the final work, the guy, you know, says in 1965, it's a done deal. Mm -hmm. It all works. It's beautiful. The only reason it's not working is because you're not doing it right. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But then what about this and this and this and this and this? Like, it's, a, it's not a finished work, and it doesn't all work, and there are tons of contradictions. And once you get out of that infatuation <laughs> with it, the, you know, once the awe kind of goes away and you're out of even, like me, you're out of the sober mode even. Mm -hmm. You can see it for what it is. Yep. You know, but when you're in it, you, you literally can't see these things. Uh, <laughs> it's very hard to get yeah. across. I mean, this is what interventions are all about, is getting people out of it enough to... And, and you know. sometimes that, that blindness can make you not see things that are central to your belief. Uh-huh. So, for example... Um, if, if you have someone who believes in the, the um, prosperity gospel of Christianity, yes. they can have an experience. You know, they're shaking on, on the, the floor of the church. And, and I don't want to, again, I'm not. Uh, the, the, uh, and that proves to them that the Bible is true, mm -hmm. that the pastor, what he says is true, that they're living with the right way. And um, if you ask them, so do you believe that the you should give all your money to the poor, <laughs> like it says in the Bible. Um, and uh, many of them don't give all their money to the poor. And the prosperity gospel says that they need to, God came to make them rich, right? So you can have, uh, uh, and it's very important to be able to ignore central aspects of your faith. Because sometimes your faith says that you need to, you can rely on God to provide for you. Right. But you should not. <laughs> you should not act on that belief. Um, right. And so, um, it it is it it's 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 a it's a very very interesting type of 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 blindness that can happen. And 
because of the the necessity to keep uh, uh, this certainty of all these aspects, uh, you need to uh, uh, you develop uh, a sensitivity to criticism. Boy, I've never seen that on Facebook. <laughs> I've never engaged in that on Facebook. <laughs> So, uh, would this, uh, you know, we haven't brought this up at all. We mm -hmm. haven't mentioned this extremely dirty word. Um, but we talked about ideals or beliefs and how you can have this type of love or awe mm -hmm. for them. Uh, I, would this apply to pol pol politics? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. It can. Yeah. Okay. Just so, want to make, and, get that out yeah. there. Sort of throw that dead fish on the table <laughs> for everybody to argue over now. But, yeah. you know, if you're ever wondering when you're on Facebook or social media and you're interacting with people who have opposite beliefs, Left or right, you know, this, I'm not going to make some stand on Trump here right now. I'm talking about both mm -hmm. sides. And you're sitting there just gnashing your teeth. <laughs> your fillings are falling out because you're gnashing your teeth so much over the frustration you feel at this person who touts the Bible or mm -hmm. touts some, you know, or, 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 or touts or some... Or a, a Scientologist. That, yeah. But if you think of this kind of, of fervor or, or belief attachment is something that's related to other types of love, then to insult someone's cult, right. to tell them your cult sucks, is like telling someone that their baby is ugly. Exactly. It is, they're not going to listen to you, there you go. anymore afterwards, <laughs> even if you're right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um, what do you mean? They stopped listening as soon yeah. as you said your baby's ugly. Yeah, that's, it's, like, it's, that's it. You're done. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and it's, it is... Uh, um, uh, it, it makes things uh, difficult, yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there have been some strange relationships in the United States over the last couple of years over all of this. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why you shouldn't insult people's religion. So there are some people who say that, as an atheist, you need to go out and tell people that their belief is irrational and stupid and and, and right. evil and all that. But I think that if you're doing it uh, um, without being very very careful and without realizing that they might not even see aspects of what they're doing because of blind spots, right. because uh, um, then uh, uh, you're not going to change people's minds. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, that's right. Yeah. And I, I've, I've failed more often than I've succeeded at trying to practice what I preach with that, but he's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in this uh, fervent state, for example, but also in uh, uh, others, of course, you can get uh, intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. You can get obsessive uh, uh, addiction-like behaviors. Um, people want to be in these states. People want to be in love. People want to be... Uh, it feels uh, have, have amazing. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a very interesting relationship with stress and trauma. Hmm. Uh, with them. So uh, stress can increase the level of infatuation. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can be relaxed and everything's good and your kid's in school and everything's fine. You're in a sober parental attachment, but you hear that there's emergency. Oh. Suddenly you, the, the, the stress brings back the infatuation. It can uh, um, re-trigger re it, uh, you know, it... it uh, and many groups make people feel guilty or stress them chronically so that they will be continuously more likely to stay in this fervent state. Right. Um, uh, but, so this is, this is a moderate level of stress can lead to that. But a sufficiently strong uh, a traumatic event, this is not chronic stress, this yeah. is a very, can either strengthen or 
it can uh, lead to a conversion. So we'll, we'll get to or maybe like a deconversion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which, which is the well, same this as explains conversion. why people leave cults. So I mean, one reason. Yeah, that's one. Because they have a shocking way. shift that yeah. causes them to reevaluate. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. And then, oh, I'm out. I mean, that's what happened to me. Yeah, but it needs to be interpreted in in in, in a certain in a certain way. Right. Uh, well, we'll get into how those how those states start out. Cool. Um, let's see. Uh, so all of these states can come about gradually, but they can also kind of come about very suddenly and abruptly. Okay. And uh, when that happens, that is a very emotional event, right? So the, the think about a, a a very a fast conversion, where someone goes to a intensive of the Moonies and comes out a different person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, right. yeah, that's what, I, what Steve Hassan talks about. They literally would take you to another location, uh, isolate you, do the conversion thing. Yeah, and then, now, yeah. um, now that, uh, uh, and of course, you can fall in love at first sight, romantically. Sure. More commonly when you're a teenager. Um, and you can fall in love suddenly when you become a parent. Sure. So that can happen with a pregnancy and a childbirth, sort of a, a, a gradual with, with points, but it can also be with adoption, mm-hmm. where outside your door there's a baby, and the next day you're a changed person. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's absolutely right. So the, the, uh, when that event happens, people can change their life really, really drastically, mm-hmm. really suddenly and, and really fundamentally. Yeah. And it's more likely to happen when people are young adults. <laughs> right. And this is, this yeah. is strewn throughout media, uh, mm-hmm. movies, TV. I mean, it, this is a well-known thing. Teenagers going half-cocked off on joining some cult or group or something. They or get falling in love. In, or falling in love. Exactly. What and do you sometimes mean? it's the worst part. Of the worst <laughs> yeah. Part. <laughs> this Romeo guy, I don't know about this guy. You know, mom, he's the best. He's a dream. Well, they're both dead <laughs> by the end of the play, right? So. Right. Didn't really have great <laughs> consequences. Yeah. But uh, the, the, and, and uh, historically, that's why uh, the, that kind of romantic love and infatuation was something that Society's thought was very dangerous and very right problematic. Yeah, right as <laughs> reflected in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, well, yeah. There you go. Um, Shakespeare saying, "Hey, man, maybe maybe cool your jets. Maybe hold off a little bit." The the these are what are similar, okay, between these states. But with uh, fervor, it's a lot more complicated because your con- your your commitment can be to a belief system which can sometimes not have any figures. It can sometimes not to be personified, but many times it is personified, even if it's Marxism, right. even if it's Jesus, even if it's uh, Hubbard. We did a podcast recently uh, here uh, where I talked to my friend John P. about uh, sovereign citizens. Mm. And this is a group of folks who have adopted an incredibly insane belief system mm-hmm. r- having to do with the law and legal terms and stuff, but there is no central leadership. No. But it is definitely cult-like. I mean, all the characteristics are there, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, there's and the, they, the, they the, act nuts. There's you know? the Ayn Rand cult, right? The <laughs> there she And she's dead, yeah. So yeah. There's and, no and, central and, leadership. And she had, she had a, a, a cult in her life, too. Right. Of uh, where everybody... So with, um, with fervor, with this kind of attachment, first of all, it increases drastically the... the, the 
variability of culture. Mm -hmm. You can have a group of people or an individual, but, but also a group that can act as if there is a horrible emergency when there is no emergency. But you can also have people who are completely calm and nonchalant when there really is an emergency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So um, there is, uh, uh, with fervor, you, it's, it's just a lot more diverse. And, you know, people can, can believe in almost anything with the right circumstances. So um, when, when, if, if I talk about this uh, conversion event, right? So uh, the, first of all, the same kind of experience can sometimes strengthen your infatuation or your, your belief, or it can lead to a conversion to another belief. Now, these are similar experiences, but it is uh, uh, like uh, you can fall in love for the second time with your wife mm -hmm. and do a second honeymoon and have a falling in love event. And falling in love is how families start. But falling in love is also how families end. <laughs> when, when one of them falls in love with the neighbor. Oh, right. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, that never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and people say that in, in a society where limerence, with this kind of infatuated love, is the basis for people to have relationship or to be, be married, that's also will be the basis for why people divorce mm -hmm. when they ha are limerent with someone else later in their life. You That's know? right. So um, that the, the same, uh, there's a similarity <laughs> between how you join a group and how you leave a group, how you, um, uh, and, and it's just the ability to change drastically. And, and there are, uh, Margaret uh, Singer says that it's not that there are some people who are, who tend to be in cults and some people who tend not to be in cults, but there's people who it's very easy for them to join and for them it's easy to leave. Mm. There's people, for them it's harder to join, but then for them it's harder to leave. Right. So Makes sense. Um, I think I'd fall in that camp at this point, <laughs> given all my trust issues with, with all this crap, yeah. you know. And it took you yeah. 27 years, <laughs> exactly. but you were 15. Uh, That's right. So, the, the, but w what I'm talking about is about an experience that proves to you that something like, for example, Scientology is correct, which is a very strange kind of experience, right? It is. And that's interesting. <laughs> I commented on this, I think, even last week's podcast about the fact that there's a, there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of ways to explain this. One way I looked at it was there's just a logical fallacy that occurs where mm -hmm. if some of it works, we make the unwarranted assumption that all of it must work, even if we don't know what all of it even consists yeah. of. Mm -hmm. And I think this emotional investment that we're talking about explains yeah. why we're and, prone to such a fallacy. Yeah, and, and it's a specific type type of of, uh, of psychology. But if we look at our experiences, mm -hmm. um, so first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll say that what triggers, uh, uh, establishes these these uh, uh, attachments is completely different, right? So what creates romantic love and what creates parental love are Different things. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, we certainly hope so. Yes. <laughs> but uh, the, the, so it makes sense that this new type of love also has completely different triggers. Sure. Okay. So in that department, it also, it would be expected that that would be. Uh, um, and, but the, 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 once it is triggered, especially a sufficiently strong experience, uh, it can, 
feel like a objective truth, like you saw the light. Like it's, and, and it's not just real, it's really real. Right. You know? Super real. Yeah. It's very <laughs> in your face. And, uh, but the trigger is not related okay. to the conclusion. Okay. All right. I, so I, let's, let's, let's give an example. Let's, let's do, uh, let's say three atheists. Okay. Get together. And there's a bowl of sugar on the table. Right. One of them knocks the sugar and the sugar falls on the floor. And on the floor, it spells out the word truth. <laughs> okay. okay. This is a thought one experiment. In, one in a trillion chance and it happens. Whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, you can see that one person can see that, have an experience, and become a Catholic. Sure. The other person next to him, also an atheist, also believes in everything that the first person believes, has the experience, has, you know, and becomes a Muslim. Okay. Right? Okay. And uh, the third person might not trust you know, might remain an atheist. Say that there are magnets, that that's not sugar, that this... It was a one in a trillion. LSD flashback. You know, yeah, million monkeys, million typewriters, yeah. they're gonna sit, they're gonna type the Bible before yeah. too long, yeah. Uh, so the, the, or, you know, the different, uh, but you can see that the same miracle, <laughs> or perceived miracle, mm -hmm. can lead one person to see it as a proof that Christianity is true. Yes. The other one sees it as a proof that Hinduism is true, or Islam is or true, is, yeah. or, um, and yet there's the same experience. Right. Now, in the Bible, in the, the Christian Bible, there's one uh, uh, event where people come to the wrong conclusion of the miracle. Usually people know what the miracle is supposed to mean, hmm. right? So in, in when, when Moses parts the Red Sea, people know that means we need to get circumcised, right? But <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was very funny. Yeah, but there's, there's, okay. there's, this is before the Bible. The Bible gets introduced later in the story. Right. So Judaism is just about that. Um, but uh, uh, when Jesus is, uh, uh, walks on the water, mm -hmm. uh, he walks towards his disciples who are on a boat. And in the biblical story, they see him walking on the water and they think that they're seeing a ghost. Oh. And then he makes it up to the, to, to the boat and says, no, it's not a, a ghost, it's me, Jesus. Okay? So they thought that this miracle proves that ghosts exist. Right. But <laughs> you were wrong. This miracle proves something else that's not related to the buoyancy of Jesus. You know? Sure. <laughs> right? Um, so, and you can also imagine someone uh, who sees Jesus walking on the water from far away, and they don't know what make of it, but they know something really mysterious happened. And then 20 years later, they joined Scientology and they say, oh, that's what that meant. Right. <laughs> that, that was OT powers. Right. <laughs> exactly. So this uh, uh, awe and feeling of knowing can even be suspended where you know that meant something. You don't know what it is yet, but then later you can have an experience and then you interpret the, the miracle. Uh, retroactively right. is something. So if we uh, um, ask what, you know, what is going on here, right? Mm -hmm. Now, and, and there's, uh, uh, at this point I'll say that there's a lot of ways to induce awe. So sure. perceiving a miracle is just one way. Yep. So there's, well, you can uh, take a personality test 
Yeah. And or, have somebody show you their results and tell you all about yourself or, and go, or, what? Or have a trauma or meet the celebrity or vastness. Uh, yeah. Right. So, tons we'll, and tons of we, ways. And, and we can get into that later because that's, uh, of course, a very interesting uh, <laughs> subject. But um, if we ask what is going on with this, in this case, it was a miracle. But I saw the miracle and that proved to me uh, things that are not related. So first of all, we can ask, well, how do you know what it's going to prove? So uh, the way I think about it is that you have uh, um, a default conclusion that you will get. So you can be an atheist that if you uh, see a, a miracle, Protestant Christianity, that's what you'll, you'll conclude from it. But another atheist, they're still an atheist, but if they see a miracle, that's something else. So this is sort of a default that they will conclude if they see something that's sufficiently anomalous. Okay, would you say that their default position would rely on their background, education, yeah. culture, experience, etc.? Yes, but okay. that default can be changed mm -hmm. uh, temporarily. Okay. So, for example, a person normally, if they have a very, very strong awe experience, they will become a Christian. But now they came to the ashram, and they know that everybody in the ashram, they believe that the guru is God. And they don't believe that the guru is God, but now because of the context, because of the situation, because of the people around them, now if they will ha have that type of experience, then the guru is God would be the conclusion that okay. they'll get. So a person can, if they have a strong emotional experience like that normally, be a Christian, but now they're in a Scientology org. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to say, okay, if I see a miracle now, okay, I'll believe that, because you haven't seen the miracle. <laughs> you don't believe it yet, but you, you change your default, right. how you'll react to a miracle. And so, well, this is how Scientologists are made. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. Because because the church goes way out of their way. Hubbard went way out of his way to interpret the events you're experiencing in a yes. very particular way. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're feeling a little odd, and and the hair standing up. You must be exterior. Yeah, and you, you have an out of your body, body experience. That's right. That means that everything Hubbard ever wrote is correct. Exactly. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, there you go. That's how it works. But it really feels like that. And this is not a question of the intelligence of the person. This is not, it is sort of like accepting a baby with all of its properties. You accept Scientology and you don't even know what it is. Right. <laughs> you can believe with all your heart in things that you don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, and in, in that, uh, that state is related to child psychology. So a child, the, you can be a three-year-old who's a Christian, who knows nothing. <laughs> or a four-year-old Scientologist, you can be you know? a four-year-old Scientologist. That's right. Quick be bakey. What's but, that, Mommy? It's the bad part of your mind. Okay. But That's you, how it worked. <laughs> and you defer to your parental figure. Yeah to be the one that, that, that your worldview is determined by. Right. And uh, uh, you can get that kind of, of psychological state where you're not even fully aware that you don't know what Scientology is, but you know, but you see what other people are doing and you can always ask an authority figure if you have questions. And, um, uh, uh, but the, the, and, and this is this is for sudden conversion. Slow mm -hmm. conversion is, is a different story, and it it's it's a complicated story. So maybe we'll uh, we'll say that for we'll, later. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll, we'll uh, um, so uh, yeah. In Scientology, the the 
uh, you, if, if what determines what you conclude from the experience is expectations and assumptions. And the, the strength of expectations of assumptions can be very, of course, very strong. So if you want to think of, of the difference between someone who has taken LSD a number of times, they know a little bit about what it does in the brain, and they're taking it knowingly and they're expecting it to happen. Compare that with someone who doesn't know that such a thing exists and someone puts some LSD in their coffee. Right. Those are fundamentally different experiences. Yes. Those are, are you can say that they're both psychedelic, LSD-induced experiences, drastically different. Yes. Very, very drastically That's right. different. Would you say that that might be why I should be stressing, <laughs> and when I talk about these groups, uh, informed consent? Uh, well, always. Yeah. <laughs> you should always. Well, I mean, just the example you just gave is yeah. exactly what I'm talking about with that. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, in, 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 there's many different contexts that uh, of course, of co course. comes in, uh, comes into play. But I just can't think of too many contexts where it would be okay morally from a moral position to mm -hmm. slip LSD into somebody's coffee. That's, you know. that's right. But with, uh, and there are cults that do that, by the way. I know. <laughs> because then they can interpret the event exactly. according and, to their scriptures. And the LSD causes hallucinations interpreted as miracles. Right. And in Scientology, you just stare at something for hours to create the hallucinations <laughs> right. that will be interpreted. That's right. You know. Exactly. Um, or, or you, you use your own internal pharmacy, you know, right. <laughs> to create an abnormal... Uh, experiences through whatever, and, and, and those are actual uh, uh, very, you know, like sensory deprivation, like, you know, the, the TRs do that, and right. there's rep repetition. Um, yeah, transinduction. Transinduction, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Auditing uh, does that as well. Yeah, there's yeah, there's forms of yeah. auditing where it's just nothing but transinduction. Yeah. And, and then people afterwards swear by it because they are interpreting it according to the context L. Ron Hubbard gave it, rather than what go. it objectively is doing. Yes, but uh, that is not some, that is uh, uh, not because of, uh, uh, you know, gullibility of the person. This is not, right. this is, right. uh, this is a, a certain construction where things feel like they're really real. Good. And this is a mechanism that uh, uh, I think is related to parental love, romantic love, where it is designed to override <laughs> yes. any yes. doubts you have regarding the commitment that yes. has been established. Uh, so, um, if, we, if we ask how is awe induced, right? So, what induces awe? Because it's, it's a strange collection of things, right? So, there's vastness, are you swimming in the ocean and you see a, a whale and oh, it can be a celebrity, you know, you walk down the street, you see Mick Jagger and everybody else's. Uh, crowds amplify this, but th this is any emotion. Um, and you can have, with, with awe, you can have uh, an emotional experience that you know should not have any authority. Mm. Uh, uh, it's, it's like when you're afraid at a horror movie. Okay. And you're actually afraid. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the scary stuff happening, but you know it's not. You're not, it's, it, you're not in danger. It, it, you also know that this is a... So you can go to a magic show mm -hmm. and you see the magician do magic and your mind is blown. You're in awe. Right. Yeah, and skill can, can cause awe. You see Jimi Hendrix play guitar and you're, you're in awe. Yes. Um, 
but you know that this is within that context, and this is not a proof of something <laughs> that, that Scientology is correct. Right. So with the right expectations of assumptions, an awe experience, which normally would be a very fun, great experience, uh, can be a, a, something that establishes a, a, a commitment. Makes sense. Okay. But so this is, this is the kind of basic psychology we're talking about that, that cultic belief systems are built on, mm -hmm. cultic recruitment processes are built yep. on, is this stuff, which is not, it doesn't have a value judgment. It's not good, it's not bad. Awe can be amazing. Mm -hmm. Awe can be the most uh, amazing experiences of our life are awesome and, 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 experiences. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's feelings of knowing, so epiphanies where you feel like you know something. That's, that's a central to the scientific you know, right. project where, that's right. where Newton came up with the calculus and he had a very strong awe experience and it's good that he did. Um, so the, the, the um, but you need to know to, <laughs> To not trust it. Right. <laughs> you need to know. There's that, the lesson emerges, <laughs> folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you understand the, the uh, uh, now, of course, with sufficient the situation, you know, even I who understand this, if I'm in a gulag, if I'm in a re-education camp in the RPF through stress through sleep deprivation, I can have awe experience that can override, you know. Yes. So with enough, with enough uh, 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 brutality, you can, you can get those experiences. And people who are really severely stressed, um, they can get this, the, the Stockholm Syndrome, mm. where they will uh, uh, either fall in love or become fervent towards anything that has a little bit of a little bit of positivity coming from it, and and because your your, your mind or like uh, uh, torture victims or um, uh, can you 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 latch to it as as a, a I know a, a Palestinian friend of mine who was who was tortured, um, and I won't do the detail because it's 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 very it's horrible. But at some point, um, uh, someone played uh, an album as he was being sleep deprived in a stress position. Uh, and, uh, normally he would have uh, just white noise or repetitive techno, but someone put uh, uh, actual music, mm. Israeli Hebrew music. Uh, and if you see the Clockwork Orange that yes. movie, you would think in that situation he is being tortured, he's listening to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and he hates Beethoven's Ninth Symphony afterwards. Yes. In this case, the, the reality case, he loves that musician today. Interesting. Today, he, he'll sing along in a language he doesn't understand. Wow. Because <laughs> it's connected with an event and where... It, it, yeah, he was in such a dis psychologically distressed that he, anything positive he latched onto, it's like uh, uh, Patty Hearst. Right. She was, uh, 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 the, the story, she was kidnapped. Um, and after uh, a couple of months that she was kidnapped, she uh, was seen collaborating with her kidnappers. Uh, uh, robbing a bank, mm -hmm. right, with a gun that she was holding. But she tells it that she was uh, locked in a closet for a few days, tied up. Uh, and uh, in, in, in that psychological state, any little bit of affection, she fell in love with the guy that, that gave her the, the, the food. She became uh, uh, fervent towards the, the goal of, the, of the, this, this group that... that uh, 
kidnapped her. And so she became a, a, a true believer. That's the, the, the Stockholm Syndrome. Uh -huh. um, and so with stress, you, you have a, a very strange situation where stress can str makes you more fervent, but a sufficiently stressful event can reset everything right. <laughs> with the oh. right expectations and assumptions. Right. Where you can have a, a, a fast conversion because it's a... Uh, uh, so the things that induce awe, um, you you uh, uh, um, you have uh, uh, I, I categorize them as things that are sufficiently anomalous. Okay. Okay. So Coolridge gives us a, a, a poem. Uh, it's called "What If You Slept." Mm -hmm. and I think I'll, I'll probably get it. It goes, "What if you slept? And what if you in your sleep you dreamt? And what if in that dream you dreamt of a?" beautiful, uh, special flower, and what if when you woke up, that flower was in your hand? Huh? What then? Right? <laughs> now, this is a very, you know, the, so the what then is then Christianity was proved, <laughs> then right. Islam was proved. Now, this is an, uh, um, uh, so some people would, would say that vastness is a necessary aspect of what triggers awe. I think that the vastness is not necessary. It is you. So the person wakes up with the flower. They have an awe experience because, of the, because, the, because things are sufficiently anomalous. Yes. But what they feel is that they feel that God, let's say, for example, God was involved. Mm -hmm. And God is vast. Mm -hmm. So, if you ask them, they would say that I had a, a vastness experience because of the miracle. But the miracle didn't have any vastness in it. You just, uh, the, the miracle... Now, if you ask someone who saw a miracle, let's say you ask the, the apostles, did, uh, uh, you, you saw Jesus walk on the water, and say, well, or you ask them, what did you see today? And say, I saw the Son of God. And you ask them, okay, uh, how was it? And they're like, uh, you know, it was it was great, but obviously when you see the Son of God, you'll have an awe experience, right? Um, and then you, you ask him, and, and, and how did it, how did you know? And then it's, oh, he walked on the water. But both the trigger, the walking on the water, and the emotional experience can be seen as a side effect. You know, it's something that, yeah, of course, when you see the Son of God, you know, you, you know and, and it, it could have been another miracle. But the what's important is the conclusion. But they don't realize that the conclusion was reached because of the emotional experience. The sure. emotional experience was not a side effect. Right. It actually was the reason why you felt like you have the certainty and, and, and all of that. So with the, the person who wakes up with the flower, this banal, you know, uh, um, uh, um, miracle, uh, it can be interpreted in a way that they think that vastness was involved. Yes. Because of the conclusions. They, they come from it, and the conclusions. But the vastness, it, it, I, I don't think that it's necessary in the trigger. Okay. Uh, I, I related it immediately to, I was going to ask you, would this apply as well in a situation with Scientology where you have a, an interpreted out-of-body experience? Mm -hmm. And that's vast. Yeah. You know, it, because it, then people imagine it feels vast, yeah. all kinds of things, and right? I can see the sun, you know. And it's, I mean, and it's uh, neurologically, it is the, the vestibular system. So the, okay. uh, the vestibular uh, uh, sense is uh, about motion and balance. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you're floating, you feel like you're light, 
you feel all, all these vestibular hallucinations that get that, that accompany many awe experiences. Right. Uh, right. But also falling in love. You can feel like you're lighter. You feel like you're on cloud nine. Oh, it's amazing. You feel, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Um, and and uh, many spiritual or religious and or awe related things uh, are thought of as either weightless or floating or you know, souls, angels, gods, right. heaven. You know. We immediately, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're so built in to relate it to all of that stuff. Yeah, and so th th those are all things that are related to a vestibular. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening is your brain's operating, guys. Well, that's what's going on. <laughs> but, but this, this uh, and that's related to vastness. Right. Now, so the other things that can trigger awe uh, can be things like a celebrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, it can be actual vastness. It can be metaphorical vastness, or, or like like infinity or eternity or or some kind of vastness that is that is not sensual, but you you, you think about it. Um, it can be skill. It can be uh, observing skill yeah. in others, or yeah. or demonstrating skill yourself in some. Yeah, fashion. usually it's in others. Right? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a it's a something that. Um, it can be uh, virtue, so you're observing someone acting very virtuously, you can have awe. Uh, but as I said er earlier, also trauma and stressful events can trigger awe. But, and, and you can ask why is, is and, and awe is also, there's, there's terror in awe, right? So, hmm. uh, a little bit, of, a little bit, yeah, because yeah, it's uh, so much bigger and beyond yeah, you. It's, uh, but it can be reassuring sometimes, it can be... So, if you ask how come both positive experiences and negative experiences can trigger this, but I think that if you look at the connection with um, uh, love, both your child winning a prize can make re-trigger your infatuation with the kid, but also your kid <laughs> breaking a, a bone can re-trigger, right. you know. So, uh, um, we, we have the system that can be uh, uh, both with positive or negative, but with with awe, expectations and assumptions and context are are very very important, and they Makes can sense. do all the difference. Makes sense. Okay. Wow, we are we are doing good time here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How long? Oh no, I, I'm saying we're we're gonna we should be wrapping up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I want to. I want to. Let's let's, let's yeah. go ahead and do that. And then and then I mean, and I can continue talking. Oh about no, this, this is great. No, and this is I'm, great. Yeah, I'm writing a book about it. I'm I'm about to have a. a uh, the, the first chapter ready, and I'll, I'll put it online or right. on Facebook. So that's in, right. in the next week or so. So you can read that chapter, but other chapters will be coming, and then a book Excellent, one day. Man. That's yeah. good. Excellent. Okay. Well, I again, I want to thank you for coming thank, and being part thank of you this. For having me. Yeah, I drove all the way down from Boulder. Yes. And um, folks, I hope you guys uh, got something out of this. I sure as hell did. <laughs> I mean, I, and I knew what was coming. So <laughs> this was uh, this was very, very interesting. It speaks to everything I've ever talked about on this topic. All of the things we talked about here are fundamental to uh, critical thinking, to cult indoctrination and belief and recruitment and all the rest. Uh, but I hope you can also see how broadly all of this applies to every aspect of our lives. Because uh, we're all involved with other people and with other groups, and our relationships are defined by the, the context of those uh, situations and, and relationships. And so if we can be a little bit more aware of, uh, of what those contexts are and some of the positive and negative consequences that mm -hmm. could come from some of that, I think mm -hmm. we can have a slightly better lives. So thank, again, thank you very much. Thank you. 
Please leave any questions, comments, or feedback that you have, and I am very interested in your feedback, in the comment section on my YouTube channel or at sensiblyspeaking.com. And as always, if you find this uh, channel and the work I'm doing here informative, educational, and entertaining, then please consider joining me on Patreon. I could definitely use the support to keep the lights on and the, and the show going here. Uh, really, truly, it does matter and it does make a difference. And I very, very, very much appreciate the support that I get from uh, my current Patreon supporters and those of you out there who uh, even send me one-offs. So again, talk to you guys next week. Thanks for coming around. Bye-bye.